Our scripture today will be Jeremiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Thus so shall you say to him, Thus is the Lord. Behold, what I have built I am breaking down, and what I have planted I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks, Daniel. So uh, I'm going to describe to you a situation uh, where someone comes to you for advice. Uh, and first, I'm going to explain the situation. Uh, then after I explain the situation, uh, I'm going to give you some of the, the context of what was going on. So imagine a person comes to you for advice after they have a difficult evening. They were at, uh, they're, they're out to, to dinner with a, with a group of folks. Um, and, uh, and they left feeling, uh, kind of rejected and invisible. The, the situation was they were sitting at a, at a round table, uh, and a lot of us have probably been to this spot before. So they were sitting at a round table and the person to the left of them was speaking to the other person on the other side of them. And the person to the right was speaking on the other side of, the, uh, of them. So they were just kind of left there by themselves. And so for the, for the whole dinner, they just sat there staring at their plate alone, no one was talking to them. Um, and there was kind of this, this process of, of, of emotion. At first, it felt awkward, you know, just to be there by yourself with people, but no one's talking to you. And then that, that feeling of awkwardness soon moved on to kind of sadness, kind of felt lonely, kind of felt rejected. And then it moved on from there to kind of being angry. Like, how rude of these people to not even say anything to me about you. So just to totally ignore me. And so they come up to you and they're just like feeling a lot of emotion. They're just really upset. They really feel invisible and, and snubbed. And, and they come up to you for, for advice. You know, sh- should I say something to them? Should I confront them? Should I just overlook it? Cause it's not a big deal. But the thing is, they're just, they, they're feeling a lot. Like it, it didn't just, it wasn't just no big deal to them. It affected them. So that's the situation. Think about what you would say to them in that moment. Now, let me give some context. So uh, imagine that uh, this dinner was no ordinary dinner, but that you were, you were, you kind of were able to go back in time in a time machine, all right? And you go back to April 14th in the year 1912. Everybody knows what happened on April 14th, 1912. And let's imagine you're on a boat. It's another clue. You're on the Titanic, all right? So you go back in time. It's in the year 1912, April 14th. You're on the Titanic, and this is the night the Titanic struck the iceberg and, and sunk. So this person that was snubbed at this dinner 
Uh, they were at dinner on the night that the Titanic was going to sink, where more than 1,500 people would die, 1,500 out of 2,200. So, so you're a time traveler, and you know you're on board the Titanic. You know what's about to happen. And with all this information in mind, somebody comes to you, and they share about how they were really, really frustrated about what happened to them at dinner. Now, does that context change what you would say to them? Probably so. I would imagine that your advice to them uh, might be affected by the idea that about 1,500 people are about to die in a few hours. And that a social snub, in light of two out of every three people you see are about to die in a few hours, it just puts it in, in, into a, a smaller context, right? So, so in our text today, we read about Baruch, and he's really down. He's literally having a woe is me moment. He says, woe is me. Um, and, and I think we can learn a lot from what the Lord had to say to Baruch in this moment. So sometimes uh, when thinking about an issue, it's, it's good and helpful to, to zoom in and to consider details. Other times it's good to, to zoom out and, and get the big picture. Uh, and sometimes we zoom in when we ought to zoom out. Sometimes we zoom out when we need to zoom in. But for the person who faced a social snub on the Titanic, the night the Titanic sunk, in light of that, they would probably do better to, to zoom out a bit, right? Uh, in light of what was about to happen, the social snub wouldn't be that big of a deal. In, in a way, you could say the same for Baruch. He was feeling down, and, and probably for, for good reasons. Bad things were happening all around him. And, and like most of us, when things are going poorly for us, we can't help but to zoom in on things. But there's a way of zooming in too much that will make you disoriented, and sometimes it's good to, to zoom out, to get perspective, and especially when we're down. So, so in our text today, Baruch is down, and, and he needs to zoom out a bit. So, so today, I want to consider two things in light of what we read about Baruch here. Pretty simple, zooming in, and number two, zooming out. So first, let's talk about zooming in. Now, uh, if you've been paying attention, you might recall the name Baruch. If you were here last week, uh, Baruch is the uh, is kind of Jeremiah's assistant. He's a scribe. He, he's writing down a lot of the things that Jeremiah is saying. And last week, what happened was Baruch wrote down what Jeremiah had dictated to him, and he, he had it sent to the king, King Jehoiakim. And as that, that uh, scroll was read, King Jehoiakim would cut, cut it off as it was read, and he would throw it uh, into the, the, the fire. So he would just... Read it, cut it off, throw it into the fire. So Baruch was kind of snubbed in that sense, right? And that he was also, he, he wasn't that big of a deal. He wasn't, he wasn't the prophet. Jeremiah was the prophet. He was the prophet's assistant. You know, he was the one that was writing it down. He didn't have a lot of the honor that he got. He, he might've been better known as the guy that was always with Jeremiah. Like people probably just knew him as the guy with Jeremiah and probably not as much as Baruch. And all the trouble that Jeremiah experienced, Baruch experienced too. Uh, he just didn't get the honor that, that Jeremiah got. And he was probably scared, tired, confused. He was probably frustrated with Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah seems intense. He probably wasn't a, a lot of fun to work with, especially not in this time. But, but so, so look at Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 2 and 3. Because the Lord takes note of what Baruch is going through. And it's interesting. Like the whole, the book's about Jeremiah and Jeremiah's word. And Baruch is just a guy. He's the assistant writing it down. But the Lord, the Lord sees him. The Lord takes note of him. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 45, verse two says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel to you, O Baruch, you said, woe is me 
For the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning and I find no rest. So the Lord knows what Baruch has said. He's literally said, woe is me. So he feels like the Lord has given him a lot of trouble. Baruch had pain and then sorrow was added to his pain. So Baruch was miserable and he was miserable for a, a long time. I mean, he was, he was exhausted by it. He says, I am weary with my groaning and I find no rest. So weary and without rest. I don't know about you, like, you know, as I've gotten older, like, you know, when I was younger, sleep was easy. You just, you know, you just lay down and you're asleep. As I've gotten older, I found that there's some nights sleep kind of escapes you. And, and what I find to be the most miserable is when I genuinely am tired. Like I can feel in my body that I am exhausted and that I need sleep, but my mind's going. Like, unfortunately, my mind's wide awake. And there's this feeling of just like, I'm tired, but I find no rest. And this is where a lot of us might be when we're down. And this is where Baruch was. Like he was weary, but could not find rest. Now, now one thing that can be difficult in that moment is when you are tired and feeling down is to not become inwardly focused to the point that you lose context where you can't see the, the big picture because you're blinded by your own self. And we need to know that our sorrows tend to make us zoom in. They, they make you focus on your feelings to a fault and they make you focus on who's responsible for making you feel that way. And, and sorrows tend to make us focus on, on what is going poorly for us and to overlook completely the way that God has been kind to us. They tend to make us think about what could have been and what should have been. We think if I would have taken this different path, if this just different decision was made. And anyway, there's a sense in which you become inwardly focused to the point that you feel like you've either failed and it's all on you or you've been robbed of some kind of opportunity or something's been withheld from you. And once you get to that point, we are vulnerable to setting up camp in a bad state of mind. So, so in, the, in the same way that we might view lust or greed or jealousy as things to avoid, we need to add an, have a category of self-pity. That's just another category we need to be aware of. And, and to be clear, there is a, a time for everything. And there's certainly a time to be sad where it is, it is right to be sad. But there's a type of sadness that becomes self-pity that makes you zoom in and zoom in with a dark lens that leaves you disoriented and miserable. So we should be on guard against self-pity. And our text gives us something else we should be on, on guard against. And I think it's connected to this self-pity. We should also be on guard against selfish ambition. So, so listen to what the Lord says to Baruch in verse 5. He says, And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Do you seek great things? So the Lord says, Do you seek great things for yourself, Baruch? Seek them not. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys know who Tim Keller is. He was a, a pastor in New York City. He was also an author, had a big impact on a lot of pastors, including me, a lot of people, a lot of Christians. Uh, he, he's one of the guys that made the idea of being gospel-centered uh, kind of popular and well-known. Uh, very sadly, he, he died last May after a battle with cancer. Uh, but by God's providence, uh, by chance, he recorded a message for his church that was scheduled to be released on the day, of, on the day that he died. And it was uh, a, a brief word, just 90 seconds, on Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 5. So his, his last words to his church was, was this verse. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them 
not. It's, it's a great verse to, to meditate on. It's a great verse to memorize. It's kind of a verse you can memorize just in, in the service today. Before you walk out these doors, you can have this memorized. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. And so, you know, this, this has to do with ambition. And, and ambition can be, a, can be a funny thing. You know, in, in some ways, it, it's what makes the world go, go round. Ambition has brought a lot of good into the world. And we would probably all uh, agree that at least to some degree, a lack of ambition is, is, is a bad thing. It's not good. But, but there's certainly a type of ambition that is not good. And, and that type of ambition can be identified as being selfish or an ambition to become great. It's the sin uh, that, the, that the builders of the Tower of Babel had. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So anyway, that ambition that's focused on themselves and becoming great, that's bad. And it's sneaky and it's destructive. This is the sin of Satan. It was the sin of Adam and Eve. And, and no doubt you have been hurt by others who had some kind of selfish ambition. And you got in their way or you, you did something that wasn't pleasant or wasn't in line with their goal or agenda and, and you've probably been hurt by someone's ambition, and you might have hurt others with your own ambition. And so this idea of ambition is something that Christians have to wrestle with, because on one hand, we, we should be ambitious to do that all God's given us to do and be faithful with what he's given us. But man, that gets twisted really quick. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 said this, he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how can we know if our ambition is off? Well, I think the adjective that Paul used is helpful. Is the ambition selfish? Is it conceited? The the, the more our ambition is others oriented, the more it has to do with others, uh, the more likely our ambition is healthy. But ambition is usually off when our focus is zoomed in on ourselves, when we're inwardly focused, when we are inwardly focused, pride is knocking at the door. We're thinking of ourselves more than is good for us. And, and what's interesting about pride is that, is that there's a positive form of it and a negative form of it. And, and, and both are bad. When I say positive, I don't mean it's like a, not a good way. The, the positive form of pride is when things are going well. And so we've all seen this. It's like things are going well. Maybe you think somebody's arrogant or whatever. Maybe it's happened to you uh, where you've been aware of it. But, but the negative form of pride is when things are, are going poorly and this person gets, becomes really down on themselves. And this is where a lot of times self-pity begins to, to emerge because there's the, what pride basically is, it's just a, a focus on, on ourselves. And when things are well, we become maybe arrogant. But when things go poorly, we, we lean towards self, self-pity. But in both cases, the person is zoomed in on themselves. So there, there can be someone, a person who's really, really down and no one would ever think they're prideful, but they're just as stuck on themselves as someone who's become arrogant over their success in life. So self-pity can be a form of pride. It's just, it's the same obsession with yourself, just flavored by disappointment rather than success. So if things are going poorly for you right now, watch out for pride. Even though you think pride is the last thing I'm struggling with. Well, pride takes the form of self-pity. It disguises itself as self-pity. And if you, find, if you feel like you're finding a measure of success and accomplishment in your life, if you're, if you're in one of those happy windows where you're knocking things out, where things are getting better and better, be careful. Selfish ambition will disorient you. It will change you. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them 
not. All right, now let's zoom out. My second point, zooming out. Uh, Look at Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 3 through 5. Jeremiah 45, 3 through 5 says this. You said, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with groaning and I find no rest. Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built, I am breaking down. And what I've planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not for behold. I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you will go. So in verse 3, Baruch is feeling sorry for himself. And then we see the Lord's response to him in verse 4. It's interesting. So, so Baruch's feeling sorry for himself. And then in verse 4, the Lord says this, Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down. What I have planted, I am plucking up. So zooming out, the Lord has been doing something for quite a while. So, so Baruch is in Judah, which is a part of Israel, which is part of this nation. But if you, if you go back, if you zoom out all the way back to where you can see, if you get back far, far enough where you can see Genesis, early on in Genesis, God picks a man, Abraham. He's an old man. He and his wife could not have children. And uh, miraculously, later on in old age, they're able to have a child. And, and from this child eventually comes the nation of Israel. And this nation, Israel, grows in number there. They end up in Egypt. Uh, They're enslaved in Egypt. And God miraculously brings them out. You guys know the story. Brings them out of Egypt and puts them in the promised land. And while they're in the promised land, they get established there. And they continue to grow and expand. And eventually they turn away. And now, after they've been here for so long, the Lord's just going to tear it all up. He's going to break down what he has built. And the point in, in saying this is that the Lord was sorrowful too. Baruch was sad, but the Lord was sad too. And I think we need to understand that the Lord grieves too. Speaking of Israel being, being exiled and punished, in Isaiah 63, verse 9, we read, In all their affliction, he, the Lord, was afflicted. So even though Israel and Judah had done evil, When the Lord afflicted Israel, it was like he was afflicting himself. It was was hurting him too. Baruch was hurting, but it was hurting the Lord too. The the Lord doesn't enjoy afflicting people even when they deserve it. In Ezekiel 33, 11, the Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In Lamentations 3, 33, read this. He does not afflict from the heart. Or grieve the children of men. Our God does not afflict from the heart. He would rather not see them punished and suffer. He takes no pleasure even in in it. Even when it happens to bad, deserving people, wicked, disobedient, he takes no pleasure in it. And the Lord is leading Baruch to see that he, the Lord, is more sad about this than he is. He has more invested in what's going on than Baruch does. And I think it's important for us to know that about God. That, that, that people have probably sinned against you and hurt you and mistreated you. Okay, so in your situation, you have been mistreated. It has hurt. Have you considered that it hurt the Lord too? And that it, it probably hurts him even more than it hurts you? 
And, and perhaps you've sinned against others. You've, you've caused hurt and pain. And perhaps as a result, you came under the discipline of the Lord. And let's say you did that. Let's say you did wrong and you came under the discipline of the Lord and you suffered in that. Do you know it hurt him to see you suffer in that? Even though you were under his discipline, even if the affliction was from him, it hurt him to see you suffer. And, and, and we probably have a hard time knowing what, what life should be like without sin in our own lives and sin around us. You know, it's all we've ever known. All we've ever been are sinful people and all we've ever lived around is sinful people. And so we don't have an idea of what it would be like without sin in ourselves and without living in, in a sinful world. Like we don't have a picture of what that life looks like. He does. He knows what it should be, what it ought to be. And so there's a sense where we don't know better he does. And so he, there's a sense where the misery that you feel, like he feels it more because he knows what it should be like. It afflicts him to see us afflicted. Even if we are the, the cause of our affliction, and even if he's the one doing the affliction, it hurts him, to, it makes him sad too. So when we are in our affliction, we need to know at least two things. One, he's afflicted with us. He's hurting with us. And two, he is probably more grieved by it than we are. Now, the other thing that he gets more than we do uh, is the story that we're living in. You know, we see ourselves in a story, the, the, the major movements uh, being our, our childhood, family, careers, social life. We're the main character in the story that we're in. And people are important only as they are related to our lives, right? As we're the, we're the main characters. But if we zoom out, we can see there's a much bigger story going on. That the story where we are in is about how God is redeeming for himself a people, a people to be a kingdom on this earth forever. That, that's what's going on. That, that, that's the story we're in. So even if you were to take this story about Abraham became Israel, well, all that was leading to Jesus Christ, who would come in, who would take on the sin of the world on himself, bear God's punishment for it, so that all who would come to Christ with, in, in faith and repentance would have their sins transferred to, to Jesus. His righteousness is transferred to them. And in that collection of people, God is expanding that group of people and they're growing and growing and growing, expanding in this fallen world until the end where God makes everything right uh, and he redeems all things. That's the story. <laughs> That's the story we're in. But when we have pain and we zoom in to a social snub or something smaller, we're missing the story. And in light of whatever social steps we might get along the way, they really aren't that big of a deal, even though it really hurts. And even though the Lord feels that pain too. But, but zooming out to the bigger story being told, we, we get perspective. And look, here's the deal. I, I bet in the last, I don't know, I bet in the last week, you felt hurt in some way. You, you felt some pain. I wonder if you'll remember it a year from now. You might not. You very likely might not remember it. 20 years from now, it'll likely be forgotten. 10,000 years from now, I bet it's almost impossible to remember. And look, it doesn't mean that the pain isn't real or doesn't hurt. It just puts it into perspective. You know, if you've ever been with a young child who has to get a shot in the arm, you know it's going to hurt. Uh, and you really hurt with them. If you've ever been there with your kid when they're really little and they get a shot in the arm and they cry, and it's almost like you took the shot with them, right? 
and you really do hurt with them, but it's, you know, it's going to be over in like 10 minutes. They're going to forget about it, right? They're just going to move on. So zooming out doesn't help you to ignore the pain. It just helps you to endure the pain. So going back to the story about the Titanic that I mentioned in the beginning, what would you say to that person who was snubbed at that dinner? I'll be honest. I'm not sure what I'd say. Probably something stupid, like we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know what I'd say. I don't know what you should say. But what if, what if you just told them the truth, right? What if you said, hey, in a few hours, like th- this ship is going to be at, at the bottom of the ocean. More than 1,500 people are going to die. Two out of every three people you see, they're going to be dead by morning. It might not take away the pain from them getting snubbed. It might not take away the hurt there, but I think it would help it to put it in perspective. Don't you think they're, they're bigger problems? And, and, and when we think, when we zoom out like that, uh, that's a small, small thing. You know, you probably notice, I'm sure you've had this perspective. Whenever someone close to you dies, now, there's this, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about how it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of laughter. Here's one reason why. When someone dies that you love, that you're close to, it just puts things in perspective. It just does. It's like everything gets shaked down to where, where it ought to be. That's what's happened with me. I, I mean, most of us in this room, have, have, even though this is a pretty young room, most of us have experienced the, the death of someone we loved or cared about. Um, and, and that morning or the day before that happened, you probably had a significant problem. Something that was real, wasn't made up, something that was really weighing you down. And there's something about that that reorients you to reality and it's good for our souls. So we need to, to zoom out. In, in a sense, we're on a ship that is going down. And the message of the Bible is this, that we kind of are on a ship that's going down. <laughs> it's sinking. You know, we're, we all have an expiration date. But on the other side, there's a new ship coming up. A, a new ship will arise in its place. And perhaps if we're more aware of that reality, that, that this ship really is going down, and that there's another one that's going to rise in its place, perhaps in that, we will be able to endure the pain a little bit better. And perhaps our ambition can get reoriented and made unselfish. And perhaps we might find ourselves strong and durable, enduring the pain of this life with hope, with patience, and maybe even joy. And perhaps we might be able to say with the author of Hebrews, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So, May our focus on the city that is to come give us a better perspective here where we have no lasting city. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Not just uh, through Jeremiah, but you noticed his assistant Baruch. He was down. He was also very mindful of himself, of his own misery, living in a tough time. And also his own ambition. And we, we are right there with Baruch. We are in touch with our own misery. We often feel, woe is me. We are also plagued with uh, at least a touch, if not outright, uh, selfish ambition. We want 
great things. We want to be recognized. We want to honor. And so would you help us to, to zoom out, to get perspective, to see that the story that we are in is not the story about our individual lives, but the story about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ collecting his people all over the world uh, to redeem the world and make all things new. And so would you bless us with that, oh God. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.